Hello, I'm Ben Shaw, and you're listening to Out the Gate, the podcast about sailing and adventure on and around San Francisco Bay. Well, my guest this week may be the youngest person to ever sail west to east across the Atlantic Ocean alone. Cal Courier is a 16-year-old student at Palo Alto High School. And last year, around Thanksgiving time, he got the notion to sail across the Atlantic all by himself. No matter that he didn't really know how to sail, or that he'd never been out on the ocean alone, his parents, sailors themselves, were supportive of the idea. So Cal and his dad, James, set off to find a boat that would safely get the job done. And as luck would have it, they ended up finding not only an excellent boat, a Tartan 30, but one that had been fitted out by an accomplished sailor and sailmaker, Sandy Van Zant. Now, I happened to meet Sandy through the Ocean Cruising Club a number of years back when he and his wife were on a 14-year circumnavigation. Now, 90-year-old Sandy became a guide and a mentor to 16-year-old Cal as he and his dad prepared for the adventure. And as I was editing this conversation that I had with Cal, something else struck me as unusual. Cal didn't make YouTube videos about his trip. He didn't post Instagram photos of the adventure. He didn't even blog about it. This journey, from start to finish, was something that Cal did for himself. And there's something that's very appealing about that to me. I'll let Cal tell his own story. Here we go. My name is Cal Courier. I am uh, 16. I'm going to be 17 in December. Um, I am a junior at Palo Alto High School, and this summer I sailed solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Sailed solo across the ocean, and that's why I want to talk to you. The story has gotten out there. Mm Mm-hmm. And you just had a piece in Cruising World, a really nice profile. I think people are fascinated by this because of your age, because you did it solo. Yeah. Let's go back. Um, I know you've told this story more than a few times, but how did this whole idea come about? So the whole idea started um, last winter, uh, Thanksgiving break, I believe. Me, my older brother, he's Mm -hmm. 18 now. Me, him, and my dad were driving the car thanksgiving break we were just thinking of things to do this summer i forget who came up with the idea we were all riffing off of each other you know there were maybe 10 ideas that had come up and the one that the one as soon as it was said i latched onto it it wasn't me that said it originally it was someone else that said it and i don't remember who but it was to sail across the atlantic ocean and so i was like all right so i kind of want to sail across the atlantic ocean i don't really know how to sail i've sailed sunfish sometimes but Uh that's a gaff rig one sail kind of there's no outhaul. There's no downhaul. There's no actual sailing stuff that needs to happen. Just there are no systems. There's like no systems. It's boat. it's yeah. just points of sail, right? Yeah. That's the yeah. only thing that you need to do. So I took it, and then I started kind of asking myself, all right, well, who would I want to do this with? I like people. I'm an extrovert. But at the same time, this could be a lot more fun if I just did it alone or with my twin brother. Okay. And my twin brother, we are not that much alike, so we get along great. And I asked him a whole bunch of times, and every time he said, no, I don't want to do it with you. So in the end... He didn't want to do it 
period or he didn't want to do it with you like he didn't he want to do it because he he's never loved sailing that's not cool. his passion yeah. right now he's into ai yeah okay yeah so so i decided i wanted to do it and then I, then i decided i wanted to do it alone all kind of in that same same two-week period wow and your dad obviously was supportive mm-hmm. my dad was immediately supportive he was with me every step of the way until i left and this was really from my point of view almost more of a father-son bonding experience than a true, you know, do-it-yourself kind of story. It was about the journey to Absolutely. From From the beginning, we kind of looked at each other. You know, we side-eyed at one another and we said, this is ridiculous. We're thinking about this, right? We, we're we're going to put every single ounce of energy we have into completing this goal, but we have strong beliefs loosely held. We're like, we're going to want to do this with everything. If If we're the morning of leaving... And we decide it's not safe. We just won't go. And it had been, and 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 we'd say, okay, we we put a little bit of money into it, and we put a whole bunch of time into it, and we had so much fun. That's awesome. and that's fine if we, I don't do it this summer because I can do it next summer, or I could leave with him, and then it would be me and him going yeah, across. Yeah. So, so did your dad say, hey, Cal, can I come? Yes, <laughs> he did a couple times. He was like, hey, Cal, can can I go with you? Um, not because he was worried about my safety, just because he wanted to do it, yeah, right? He yeah. wanted to sail And he's done some again. sailing in the past. He has so sailed he, across yeah. the Atlantic and the Pacific before, yeah. um, not solo, just as a crew. But, yeah, he was like, hey, can I come with you? Um, and I was like, no, nah, nah, I want to do this. I love that what you said, strong beliefs held loosely. Like, So that was a strong belief you had, I want to do this mm-hmm. by myself. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that. Why? Oh, that's such a good question. And to this day, I have... A not amazing answer, but it I. I have ADHD, and that means I have the tendency to hyper focus on a couple things and then not focus on anything else. And for some reason, as soon as this came up, I started hyper focusing. Like every yeah. night, watching YouTube videos about how to like fix this random part of the engine that I knew was going to be on the boat, just so that I knew if uh-huh. that random part of the engine broke. You know, so like, <laughs> so every spare second of time I had, I just put into this. And Did you it, watch videos on solo sailing? Like was, was everything that? solo sailing, sailing with crew, so that I can say, oh, normally the crew would do this, so I need to figure out how to do that, like with my feet. You yeah. know, sometimes I'd have a line in each hand and even holding a line in between my toes, right? Like that happened a couple times. Um, every second of my time, I was just thinking about this project, and it stopped becoming about why. It was just about how. And also, my family just loves doing weird things, crazy adventurous things. Um, what, what other kinds of things has your family done? We go to Burning Man. We do. Uh, we like to do something called snow camping, uh-huh. where you put all your stuff onto a sled, and then you hike three, four hours out into the snowy mountains. Then you dig a hole in the side of a in the side of a snowbank, and then you sleep in there. You know, <laughs> and so the survival aspect didn't seem as daunting to you no. in terms of being out there alone and self sufficient. Well, yeah, another another big part of it is because he, my dad, had done it before, he could kind of do the mental math about what the real dangers were. Mm-hmm. So we realized because of the AIS, I wasn't really in risk of hitting another boat because it was so loud. We weren't really worried about, you know, food because we had so much food. Like, we, we, we went over every single risk that could happen. And what we realized was that if I had done it a hundred times, I would have survived a hundred times and I would have made it 98 times. So there would have been two times where maybe the rig fell off, but because we had brought, we had had the foresight to bring wire cutters that I could just cut the 
the mast rigging. off if, yeah. if it had fallen off. And the only way I would have died is if the boat sunk in under 90 seconds because there was a great life raft. It was just heavy, so it would take some time to get out. That was the one worry. There was really nothing that could have done that. And um, There are ways to mitigate the risks. Still, there's a lot to contend with. I mean, it's not all of it being life or death, but going out there on an ocean with a boat, you know, you're relatively new to sailing. You're alone, which is a whole psychological challenge. Yeah. Was there anything that, that you worried about, that you were concerned about, that you thought about more than other things when you were getting ready? One thing I can tell you for sure is that I didn't, I didn't think about what the trip would actually be like. Okay. I had I had an image of my he- in my head of sailing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to sail solo across the Atlantic. The truth is, you've got an autopilot on the back of the boat. Right. I didn't tack for 16 days. You mean days, the self-steering? The wind vane, yeah. yeah. And then well, also two electric autopilots in case right. it all broke, right? So yeah. much redundancy. So I had an image of sailing, and I was like, I'm going to be spending maybe five hours a day sailing, and then I'm going to be eating and that's going to take two hours and I'm going to be fixing things and, and always doing tasks. So really my, my days are actually going to be pretty full. You know, I've got a checklist of things I want to do every day. And because I had thought of the day out, so uh, because I had really mapped everything out, yeah, I realized I had nothing to be worried about. How did it mm-hmm. differ from the days that you had mapped out in your head? One example, there was a whole day that I didn't even need to change the angle of the sail or the angle of the wind vane once. I didn't even touch the the rig or anything involved with sailing for an entire like 24-hour period. So I really wasn't doing sailing. I was doing low-level awareness. So for for 99% of the time, I needed to be aware of my surroundings so that I so that nothing went wrong, but it was a super low-level awareness. So it wasn't taking up any of my time or energy. Yeah. It ju- I just needed to be present, which means I, I couldn't sleep that long, and I, I, I couldn't really delve into other things. And What was your sleep schedule? Um, I slept 90-minute periods okay. as much as possible. Um, I had to wake up for just, a, just enough time to check that I'm on course and nothing's wrong. Yeah. And that takes five minutes. Yeah. Right? Sometimes I'd wake up, I'd just look at, the, look at my GPS and say, oh, look, I'm on course. Did that change? So how long was the passage to the, so, to so, the Azores. So, so you to left. the Azores, it was 19 days, and then it was another nine days. So it was 28 days. Okay. Time. So we're getting ahead of ourselves here because people who, who don't know the story don't know the boat, and they don't know where you left from because we're, we're sitting in Palo Alto yeah. right now, but you, you left yeah. from the East Coast. So tell us. So your dad and you got this idea and then said, okay, we can make this happen. We know what the risks are. We know what kind of boat we need. Mm-hmm. How did you go about it? Finding a boat. So we said we want a boat between 35 and 40 feet. Mm-hmm. Then we started looking around and we started watching videos. And then we said to ourselves, hold on, wait a minute. A 40-foot boat is not a human-sized boat. That is a big boat. If you accidentally jibe, things break. Um, or, or hurt people. Or hurt people. The biggest worry was getting injured, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So, so a 40-foot boat, we realized very soon... As soon as we kind of sat down and thought about it, we were like, no, we want a human-sized boat. We want a boat that's like 
Bigger than a sunfish, <laughs> but smaller like than 20 feet. So in the end, we decided 23 to 33 feet long okay. would be our ideal range. And 23 is very, very small. Yeah. We really were looking for kind of a 25 to 30 foot boat. And okay. and this and, and our philosophy about the boat we were looking for really differed from anything we read online or whatever other sailors we talked to told us. They were all like, oh, you want a new boat? You want it to be big? You want it to have all the uh, you want everything to be connected you want it all to be like you know like technical and all the latest gizmos all the latest gizmos and we were we just kind of looked at each other and laughed and said no you know you want something old and well taken care of because that means everything on it is strong and made to last because it has lasted it's tested it's it's um it, yeah it's tested and and um and we, simple, I would imagine. Simple. And we didn't want any, everything to be connected because, for example, we had a time when our VHS broke okay. before we left. And, and there were so many, there's so many different ways that the VHF is connected to the boat. We didn't know where the break was, mm. right? So imagine if the entire boat was connected. Right. If one thing breaks, everything's a little bit broken. And you can't, you know, use the GPS because it keeps giving you warnings. Oh, your depth finder isn't, you know, connected or whatever, just because the depth finder has some small problem with it. So we decided to keep everything individual. We decided to have things that were old and tested. And we also decided to have things small and human sized so that when I needed to jibe, I would grab the main sheet and pull it across the boat. And with my, you know, hands, I could do that. Right. Right. So. So how did you find the boat? We just went on the classifieds. We went, yeah. we went online. We went on Yacht World. We spent a lot of time on sailboatdata.com. Oh, yes. Good, um, great site. And we you know, looked at just about any boat we could find on the East Coast. Because you knew you were going to leave from the East we Coast. We knew we were going to leave across the Atlantic, from the East yeah. Coast, yeah. Um, and we wanted to be close to Massachusetts because um, my mother's parents live right in Massachusetts. Oh, okay. um, right on the coast. And we wanted it to be kind of close to there. So that we could kind of leave from that port, mm -hmm. just because it would be kind of out of respect to them. Yeah, because um, they were helping us through it. Yeah. Um, and and some some uh, familiar faces send mm -hmm. you off. And uh, my mother's father sailed across the Atlantic twice himself, and he's been a sailor his whole life. Um, so it runs in the so runs, runs in the family. Runs in the family a little bit. Um, and we ended up narrowing down boats, narrowing down boats, narr narrowing down boats, and then we flew out for a weekend. To visit four boats. Yeah. Um, we visited a Catalina. Uh -huh. um, we visited two looters and a Tartan 30. Uh -huh. um, so the looters are close to my heart because I had a looters 33. Yeah. The looters. The looters were great. Um, and and what we saw there really kind of reinforced our attitude about the whole thing because we we got to the Tartan 30 first and my grandfather was with me um, and my dad and we got there and. There was this 90-year-old ex-sailmaker, retired sailmaker named Sandy Van Zant, and he showed us the boat, and it was it was it was dirty, it was cluttered, there was like a project going on on it, and it was quite clearly a place where he spent a lot of time. Yeah, we all looked at each other, and the first words out of my grandfather's mouth after we left was, "You don't want that boat," just because it wasn't you know well organized and we were like yeah yeah we kind of agree we kind of agree um now of course i it i kind of had a special place in my heart <laughs> in a way because it was the cheapest boat we were looking at it okay. was the least expensive it was okay. half as much as any of the other boats mm -hmm. um and because it wasn't me paying for it i was especially 
kind of um, conservative about how much I want to spend because it gives me the heebie-jeebies to like be spending my parents' money to do something like this. Now, of yeah. course, th with the way things are working out, um, the odds are we're going to make back all the money we, we spent on the project from selling the boat. But that's another story. Nice. So then we looked at the other boats, and they were all kind of barren. They were all cold and dark. You know, one of them had, had rats. Um, and we realized that while they might be more up-to-date and they might have the big fancy Dodger that was installed in, you know, 2013 or whatever and hasn't, like, one of them hadn't even been in the water in three years. And we, we on the flight back, me and my dad were kind of talking and, and we, we did really, really see the difference between a, a loved boat and an unloved boat. And we realized that that was the side factor, that this, that not only was this, like, boat dear to Sandy, it was his project boat for 10 years, he, you know, like, this is what he spent his time doing. When you're retired, what do you do? You, you need to have a project. And this was his project because yeah. he, he had this boat with, with the intention of doing a Bermuda 1-2, um, which is a race where you sail down to Bermuda solo and then you sail back with a friend. So it was made for deep water solo sailing. And, and Sandy has a lot of experience sailing, I know, because I met him back in... I think the early 2000s when my, my folks ran across him in the 90s in the South Pacific when he was cruising his previous boat. He's a little bit of a sailing legend on yeah. the East Coast. Yeah. Um, and it just had everything. It had everything you needed to sail solo across the Atlantic. And, yeah. that, and that's because he made it to sail solo to Bermuda, which is the same trip. Pretty and much. I understand you, you got this boat for a, a bit of a steal. A lot of a steal. So, <laughs> so, so all the boats we were looking at were between thirty and $33,000. This yeah. one we got for twelve point five. Was it because it was It was, was because you? it was me. It was because he was he knew that he was passing on his dream yeah. as well as his boat. Because yeah. imagine if you pass down the boat that you love to some cold, you know, millionaire guy who's going to... Well, I know I've sold boats that just, I love, and it's, and, it's not and, easy. And they're just going to take it, and they're going to say, all right, cool, this is our boat now, thank you, goodbye. Yeah. With Sandy... We went out and visited him. We we were with him. We gave his life kind of meaning from the point that we met him till now. He sent me an email earlier today. We were we were talking via so email earlier today. Yeah, yeah I, I see great. him. I see him as a as a <laughs> like a third grandfather. I I I really love that man. Um, he's he was just so great to spend time with, and I think that I think that it really gave his life meaning because I was carrying on his dream and it's like, you know, handing it on, passing the torch on. And I think yeah. that was a big part and yeah. why it was so cheap, but also it was a very personalized boat. The electrical was all his doing. Yeah. He had completely redone the electrical. He had um, added two feet to the mast. All the rigging was his, you know, design. He had added a, an extra jib. He had added a staysail on the front. Like, I mean, uh, having a sailmaker is somebody who's refit your boat for you. Mm -hmm. That's fabulous. And so the whole thing was extremely complicated and it took us, Many, many weeks of just spending time with him every single day from, you know, eight in the morning and then he had to, you know, go get lunch because he's 90, right? He doesn't, he can't <laughs> stay focused for long, go take a nap. And then we'd go, you know, until eight o'clock at night. So every, every day we were, you know, I mean, and what a wonderful and resource to have him there 
to be able to tell you about all the things he's done to the boat. So often you buy a boat and it's just figuring it out on yeah, your own. Yeah, and all the other owners would have just said, this is your boat now. Go for we're, it. We're selling this because yeah. we want to get it off our chest. He was right. not selling because he wanted to get it off his chest. He was selling it because his wife was like, you are 90 years old. I'm not going to let you do this <laughs> You're Bermuda not selling to Bermuda by yourself. You're not yeah. going to sell the Bermuda by yourself. So, 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 so he really was just a gift. And the yeah. boat was a gift, but he was more of a gift because I learned so much from him. That's so great. Yeah. And and the boat lived up to your expectations when you were out there? By every definition. Yeah. It was just amazing. Had you, now you set off, had you sailed in the ocean before? <laughs> so, bought in Connecticut. Yeah. Um, Mystic, Connecticut. We, yeah. we uh, kind of sailed around for only a couple days because really it was just making sure everything was good on the boat. And that was yeah. in the port, in the, in the harbor, in the harbor, in the harbor. And then eventually we sailed for maybe three days around, right? And then we sail around the back of Cape Cod okay. in the 30 knot winds. We were like, there's a storm oh, coming. Okay. We, my, me and my dad said, there's a storm coming. We want to be out in it, mm-hmm. in deep water, so that I can feel what it's like to be in a storm. Yeah. Um, so we, we went and did that. I got to, you know, pull an all nighter and, you know, navigate through stuff and use all the systems that we had learned about. And then we got around, we got down to Marion, Massachusetts, which is where my grandparents were. Okay. I'd still not been out alone before other than in a dinghy. Then we do more preparation. And then two days before we left, we finally truly convinced my mom that it was going to happen. So my mom, while my dad was on board right away, my mom always said she was, but she was always a little bit you know, she's a mom, right? You can't, you can't help it. And, but she finally was convinced, um, took dad, like a, they had like a three hour conversation of just her asking questions. Like, you know, what, 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 he, what does he do if this happens? What does he do if this happens? And the fact that my dad, cause they were driving together and I wasn't there, but, but the fact that my dad had an answer for every single one of those questions reassured, her. reassured her. And she was like, okay, they know what they do. Has your mom done any sailing? Yes. Because her, so her, her dad, um, was a big sailor, so she was sailing all through her okay. childhood. She's so she was familiar with it. <coughs> yeah, un- understood. In high school, she sailed on a brigantine ship called mm. the Tabor Boy. Like, she's done sailing. You know, she doesn't hasn't done any you know transatlantic or Pacifics, but she 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 knows sailing. So so she knew the right questions to ask. She knew what we needed to know to do it, and she realized that we did know what we what yeah. what, what, what we what we were talking about. So at that point, I hadn't gone out alone. This is what I suggested. I said. Not many people other than dad want me to do this. Mom, you're on the fence. My grandparents definitely don't want me because it's kind of a, a, little, a little bit of a slap in the face because he had been sailing his whole life and he saw this as something that sailors do as a kind of culmination of all their skills. Work up to. Yeah, yeah. they work up to it. And the, the fact that I was skipping all the steps was a little bit insulting, I imagine. He never said that, yeah. but I could, I could kind of feel it. So he was always the skeptic, although he helped a ton, my grandfather. He, yeah. was, he was there to help me, but also he was a skeptic. Um, and basically everyone was not really excited about me doing this because it was dangerous. And it just, it, it wasn't adding up in their heads the way it was for me and my dad. Even after we talked them all through it, they still were, they, they still were scared. So what I said was, I'm going to go out. I, I left in 25 Not Winds. I left in a bit of a squall. And I said, I'm going to go out. And within the first three days, at any point, I might just turn around if I don't like it. If I feel seasick, if I feel too lonely, too bored, whatever, I'll just turn around. And they were all like, that's pretty sensible. So I left and they were all looking at each other like, great, he's just going to turn around because it's going to suck. <laughs> I honestly left not knowing whether I was going to turn around or not. I, yeah. I, I honestly didn't know because um, my first time solo sailing was doing this. So I got out there. <laughs> that's pretty incredible. I got out there and two days pass and I'm so bored because, again, I had not downloaded TV shows. Yeah. I had 
brought philosophy books. Mm-hmm. And then in my boredom had found that I had the Percy Jackson series downloaded on my phone by luck. So I read that like two <laughs> times. It's great. It's such a kids, kids books are so fun. Um, uh, That's awesome. And, and um, so like three days out, I'm kind of looking around and, and I say to myself, I'm so bored and I'm really not doing much, but it's just easy. I knew from the start doing it was not going to be much fun. But the process to get there was very fun, and having done it was so f- is gonna. Uh, I I got the feeling, having done this is gonna be like it's gonna be a great opener, you know. If I'm at a bar or something, yeah. and I'm trying to meet the people, the accomplishment. It's, it's an accomplishment, and you know, it 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 gives you a little bit of a, makes you feel good about yourself to do something. There's and different kinds of fun, right? There's yeah. the fun that you have while you're having it. And then the fun that is not so much fun while you're having it, but exactly. you look back on it and you like, say that like, was fun. Like finishing all your homework for the night. It's like yeah. a sense of accomplishment. You know, I've yeah. done it. I can go to bed happy now. And, <laughs> I love the analogy. And, 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 and I, I got the feeling that I just thought to myself, this is just one month of my life of just kind of boredom and loneliness. A, a, you know, a little bit of nausea and I really wasn't eating much because I wasn't hungry. And it, I was like, it's just going to be 30 days. So you were pretty confident the weather was going to hold and you weren't going to get... Yep, I was looking at the weather maps very often. So talk about what your communication was a little bit, how you were getting weather. So I had an Iridium Go, and that can give me weather. That could make phone calls and that could text. Um, and then I had a Garmin inReach, which was... The, the problem with the Iridium is I needed to turn it on and leave it out looking up at the sky for it to work. Okay. It ran out of battery quite quickly and it couldn't charge while it was doing that. So basically I'd turn it on, make a phone call and then turn it off. Mm-hmm. People couldn't call me, but I could call people basically. But the inReach tracks you all the way along. The inReach, it tracks my location. That's what that's what its main function was. But then also people can text me at any point using it and I can mm-hmm. text them at any point. So the inReach was my main form of communication. I, I'd text on my phone and it's just Bluetooth connected to my phone and then it shoots up. So you get to that three day mark do you text and say, hey, mom and dad, I'm going to keep going, or do you just keep going? Well, we'd kind of been talking the whole time, and yeah. I remember it was dusk on the third day. In my head, I'm still saying, I don't know if I'm going to do this or not. I was really indecisive. I was on a call with my dad, and he was like, look, kid, it's been three days. It'll be another three days back. You can either choose to take another three days back, or you can choose to just take 13 days to the Azores. And then you can just stop in the Azores if you want. And then once you reach the Azores, you can have another like three days and then you can turn back to go back to the Azores if you want. We kind of talked for a little bit and I just realized, why turn back? The weather, there's a huge squall that's going to blow in, but I can just go south of it, which is what I did. I rode a high all the way to the Azores. And we had done so much work. I was like, I'm already out here. I'm just going to keep going. Right. And I'm lonely and it sucks. And like, you're emotionally raw. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not someone that cries a lot. I haven't cried since I got back, but, but when I was out there, I like cried almost every other day. Was it being alone? Yeah. Like I'd listen to the song, you know, the last goodbye from the Hobbit. I'd listen to that song. And it's like, there's this line where he says, and at last we turn back to paths that lead home. And I'd just like start (laughs) bawling and and, you know, it's like a sad song. And it was just so <laughs> random. Well, and you're headed away from home, I'm right? headed away from home. And, and I'm not talking to anyone. I have no entertainment. I, I, I blew through my first five books in two days. Yeah. Like, before I decided whether or not I was going to turn back, I was done with my books. Not the philosophy ones. But that felt more like homework than reading. That right, sure. Than entertainment, <laughs> Did right? Did those get read? 
Yes. <laughs> okay. Now I'm in philosophy class in high school and I can beat many of my friends in philosophical discussions. It's fun. <laughs> and you can talk about the philosophy of just being out there alone. Exactly. <laughs> but no, there was this one time I remember more clearly than any other moment on the boat. I called my dad and I was feeling great. I was happy. I was smiling. I had just eaten spaghettios which were nasty um, and I did not eat any more for the rest of the trip and I called him and he picked up and I heard his voice and I just couldn't talk I I couldn't get a word out and eventually the first what what I said after almost a minute I just said just keep talking to me just keep saying words you know tell me how everyone is over there tell me about your day and he just started kind of ad-libbing and just talking to me and just hearing another person's voice cuz i hadn't heard another person's voice in a long time i think it had been 3 days since i had called it was amazing how emotional it made me feel to just hear that voice just yeah. through the cell phone it didn't happen quite that extreme again cuz i made sure from that moment i was like okay i'm going to call at least twice a day from now on just cuz i don't want to I don't want to be yeah, that. Have that connection. Exactly. You know, friends were texting me dad jokes and stuff. On, on So, it, you know, I, I was alone, but at the same time, I was quite connected because I had nothing else to do other than text people. You know, I reached out to old friends from when I was eight. Did you ever think about what it would have been like if you didn't have that connection? Like when people used to do it with nothing? So it's interesting to think about that because on, on one hand, it would never would have happened because there's no way my parents would have let me do it if right. they couldn't talk right. to me the whole time. But in a theoretical world, if I did do it without that connection, I think I would have been fine. You know, like at no point was I extremely happy and sure, I was sad a lot of times, but I knew it was temporary. Yeah. Whatever was going to happen, it would just be a memory once I was done with it. So why worry about it? Right. It was like this sucks and it's lonely and, and, and it's awful. And, but once I'm done, I'm done, you know, and it just would have been more lonely. And then once it would have been done, it would have been a stronger memory. We talked about this a little bit before we started recording and you were saying there's this strange kind of dichotomy between, so you get done and you get a lot of attention. You're hailed as like accomplishing this great feat. And the way you're talking about it right now, it's like, you didn't love it out there. Yeah, so I I started sailing to achieve this goal. Yeah. So I never saw sailing as, you know, a beautiful thing. I saw sailing as a means to an end. It was never about the sailing itself. It was about doing something amazing um, and fun and kind of like I did it out of a love of life. Setting yourself a goal. Sailing. Setting and myself and a goal and just and achieving it. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think that a lot of people ask me about it and talk to me about it and they all – you know, expect me, as I said before, they expect me, well, the, the image in my head, the image in their head of what I did was, you know, standing, you know, shirtless with ripped clothes on the back of the boat, in you the know, middle of a storm, yelling at the <laughs> waves and, you know, at the, at the white whale. That's what they imagine. Yeah. What, what happened was I sat down below deck 20 hours a day to escape the heat and ate sandwiches and Tostitos chips and played solitaire there was very little adrenaline because I'm not afraid of the ocean for some reason. So, so it's like, and also in my mind, I was so comfortable with the idea of sailing. Was it not the, the challenge that you had hoped it would be? Um, that's an interesting question because I, the challenge was the preparation. Yeah. The whole project, because we were so prepared that we had 
three redundancies for every for anything that could have gone wrong. We had we had an extra uh, an extra rudder that was built into the wind vane so that I could steer even if the rudder came off, which is very rare, but it happens, you know. So yep. everything that could happen, we had a preparation for, and and that was the challenge, making sure we had everything ready. Because if if we thought it was going to be too challenging out there, we wouldn't have done it. So so I, it is it was less challenging than I'd hoped for. I hoped that you know the engine might have broken, and I would have had to figure out how to do that, or you know a sail would have ripped, and I had to change the sail solo, which is very difficult to do. Um, and I, I wish there were a couple more moments of kind of scramble panic that would have given me adrenaline because there was not that much adrenaline out there. Well, keep sailing and you'll find them because those yeah. moments do happen well, out there. So since then, I got back and I, I, I've I started sailing FJs yeah. um, out of Redwood City. And it, I'm on my high school sailing team. And, and that, that's sailing. What I was doing on the boat wasn't sailing. That was that was that was time management and sitting around and and just being generally aware because yeah. my sails were generally set in the right position. You know, I never adjusted the outhaul or the downhaul once on the whole trip. I had to just make sure I didn't have too much or too little sail. That's what was on my mind. Yeah. Now now it's like fine tuning everything. It's true sailing. So I yeah. and that I love the yeah. dinghy sailing. I love and the the further my love for dinghy sailing goes, the further my um, love for the keelboat sailing is. So now I would consider going back to the Med where the boat currently is and sailing it through the Mediterranean to Greece. Like that's what I might do next summer. And unless we sell it, and of course we're trying to sell it, but nobody's yeah. buying it because it's a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a great boat. It's, it's, it's done you well, but it's for a very specific purpose. Very specific purpose. But so uh, that's interesting to me that, that, that sailing and racing um, – has made you more interested in the in the cruising. Not the racing. Everyone there is hyper-focused on winning. My favorite part of these regattas, I was at a regatta yesterday um, down in Monterey. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite part is just the milling about in the water. Just really? just okay. the sailing bit. But it's like real sailing where you're trying to optimize stuff. You're but optimizing, as soon yeah. as you're in a race and you're like putting yourself up against other boats, that isn't really fun for me. What about ocean racing? Does that have any allure for you? Like... Uh, like mm-hmm. the, the Bermuda race you were talking about, the one too, or yeah, the see, see, Transpac. I don't, I don't know yet. I yeah. don't know yet because I'm, I'm. You don't need to. I've know I've been yet. sailing for nine months. That's it's still <laughs> quite new to me. So yeah, so exactly, exactly. I'm I think no. So I, I really related to what you were talking about about the challenge being the whole project, because when I think sailing, and you're saying it, you know, sailing the dingy, the dinghies feels like real sailing to you. When I think sailing, I think of the whole package. And I, I'm going through a refit right now in order to take off cruising at some point. And to me, I remind myself that that is almost as enjoyable, if not more enjoyable to me, than being out there sometimes. Because I love that. I love digging into the different components and learning about it. And like you were saying, being hyper-focused on something. And I completely really agree. I think, I, and I, 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 I also like to bring it back to what you said earlier about how it's just different types of joy. Yeah, you know, one of them is the joy in sailing, which has its joys, but then it's also wet at times, and you know, there's different uncomforts. But then, you know, the joy of making thing and and fixing it and getting it ready—that's a certain type of joy. But you know, then it's greasy, and you know, this is breaking, and this costs money, and you know, so they're they're different types of joy. But when when you package it all together, it's something truly beautiful. Yeah. That's why I love sailing. Have you enjoyed speaking of joy? Have you enjoyed the attention that's come afterwards for the first like two days? And yeah. then, and then I was like, 
then 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 I then I realized that I was like a fake because a whole bunch of people saw me as this great sailor. And the fact is, I'm not a great sailor. I'm a sailor who has accomplished something great. There's a, there's a, there's a, there's a huge difference between those two things because, you know, going to these regattas, I can see what really good sailors are like. And I can't claim that I'm part of that group, but then my accomplishments put put me in that group. And it's strange because because that that attention feels false in a way. So mm. I almost, one of the reasons why I'm sailing is so that I can feel worthy of that attention. Mm-hmm. The imposter syndrome. Exactly. I'm getting a little bit of that, yeah. That's interesting. Does that make you want to walk away from it and say, all right, that was then? Or does it make you want to go back and say, okay, yeah, I can keep, keep trying my hand at this and see what happens? Makes me want to lean into it more. Makes me want to be deserving of the title of what? And, and oh, and also... Well, what I've is the title? Did you, do you, are you the youngest person to go from, from west, west to, to east, east across the Atlantic? Yeah, I, I believe my favorite term for it is North Atlantic because everyone did the, the, okay. the, the Great Circle route. Yeah. I did the Azores route. Okay. I do want to clarify... I did not know that was on the table. We were right. like, of course kids have done this before. Like, what are you talking about? But then like a week into it, <coughs> my dad texts me and said I was at a dinner thing and somebody asked, is he the youngest? So we searched it up and it turns out the odds were I was the youngest and we were both very surprised by this, but it was never part of the plan to be the youngest. It just, yeah. just happened like that. It just happened like that. You're goal oriented, I would imagine. Absolutely. What are some of the other goals either sailing-wise or outside of sailing that you have yourself right now? Right now, it's to get good grades. <laughs> okay, that's a good one to have it, as a junior in high school. Like, I, I'm sure your parents are pleased. <laughs> I, I, I won't say, like, what's happening, but let me tell you, last year, the existence of the sailing trip did not help my GPA. Yeah. I, I did not spend enough time writing those essays and doing those homework assignments because I was doing spending so much time sailing. So, so it was Thanksgiving you thought of it, and then the rest of yeah, semester, the year. Yeah, semester two was blown. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I've got some making up to do a little bit, um, and I intend to do so. so. So that's my goal right now is to make friends and get good grades and honestly be, 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 a, be a kid because yeah. yeah. this whole project I was very grown up. I was talking to people. I was calling brokers. I was on the, f- you know, yeah. I, like I was doing paperwork and stuff. And I've never really been to high school parties before. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to see what it's like to be a regular high school student for just a little bit. And then, and then, and then do something really cool. I, 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 I'm definitely going to keep doing cool things, I think. But <laughs> I just don't know what yet. Um, and, you know, the I- ideas are random. They come to you at random times. So, yeah, you never know what it's going to So, be. you know, I had an idea of how to fix homelessness in San Francisco, and then I realized I just didn't have time this year or the connections that I needed like I did for this project. Yeah, so, 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 so having goals is super important. I think everyone should have goals. Honestly, I think their goals should be sailing-oriented. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's good to hear you say that after having gone through this journey with this goal. Has this, having done this, did it change your relationship with your siblings at all? Um, A little bit in my mind. My siblings are all incredibly intelligent people. My two older brothers go to amazing colleges and they, you know, done all the things in the SAT and... You've got two older brothers and you've got a twin twin. brother. Yeah, and then then my twin is, you know, at an amazing, you know, private school and stuff. And and I'm at a public school and I've always felt um, in my heart a little bit inferior to them. And so I've always... uh, 
you know, I've always loved them so much and I've always, I've never tried to compete with them because you don't compete with your brothers. A win for one is a win for all, like the Three Musketeers. But it, it does feel like I'm kind of standing on the same level of them as them now, which, which That's just... a nice feeling. Feels good, yeah. Gives you some self-confidence. You can always look back on that yeah. trip you did and say, I did that. Mm. Kind of a self-proving thing for if you're ever feeling not great. But, but one thing that I would like to talk about that I really do like to talk about is yeah. this project happened in large part because of my parents. I think that a lot of parents have poor risk analysis when they're talking about their kids. I think that most parents nowadays see any risk as bad when it's my opinion that the greatest joy can be found in times of discomfort. Not necessarily suffering, but discomfort. And that every kid between the ages, between probably like eighth grade and college, needs to have their, in quotations, time in the wild. It's not necessarily literal time in the wild, but that's, you know, time just away from all the protections that parents put on their kids nowadays. So that's going to an eight-week summer camp out in the wilderness, or that's taking an internship at some, you know, place over the summer, you know, when you're in your junior year, going into senior year. Like, like that's the kind of thing that so many kids in my generation have are, are missing. Getting outside your comfort zone. And I think it deepens character. And I think that I, I can't say I have necessarily much deeper character than my classmates but i do think that to to do something like that to do something risky is is really important and i think that it needs to be well supervised or managed by the parents but it can't be like controlled by the parents you know so i think that i think that basically the core of what i'm saying is that a lot of parents in america's society nowadays need to uh reanalyze risk management in regards to their children it's interesting because i'm the parent of two little girls right now yeah a five-year-old and an eight-year-old and somebody just this morning i was telling them that i was going to be talking to you and said would you let your kid do that and i think you're so right it's about it's more about being outside the comfort zone than being unsafe Right? That's a beautiful way to say it. That's a beautiful way to say it. I would let my children do that if I knew that they had prepared the way that you prepared, mm -hmm. that your father... And, and just thinking about it now, I'm thinking of something, how every person has a different comfort zone. So most, most parents have uh, an issue where they don't want their kids to do something that's outside of the parent's comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So if the kid doesn't have a super large comfort zone, but the parent does, then that can be a very successful kind of partnership between the child and the parent. But if the child has a huge comfort zone and the parent has a small one, then that's going to be really restrictive because the parent, because their, you know, their parental instincts will kick in. They aren't going to want to have their kid do something dangerous that, or at least that they, they consider dangerous. So right. I've been extremely lucky because my parents have a, ginormous comfort zone and <laughs> i also have a ginormous comfort zone right so to get well that's probably not just a coincidence right they've taken probably you not. off ice uh camping yeah, snow, snow camping, camping yeah. and also i just want to comment really quick on you have two daughters right yeah and i don't have any sisters but i do wonder how maybe society would approach it differently if it was the girl because remember what was her name tanya First, abby yeah yeah girls need their time in the wild and their time of discomfort just as much as boys do, yeah. but our society is uh, pretty weird. So yeah. 
that's 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 my uh, that's my takeaway. Hey Cal, this has been so much fun talking to you. Good luck with high school and the grades. Good luck with the sailing, whatever it be, be on the team or if you go back to the med next summer. I'm excited to hear more. Congrats. Thank you so much for inviting me on. I turn at last to pass that lead home and go where the road then takes me. I cannot tell. We came all this way, but now comes the day to bid you farewell. As always, I'm Ben Shaw, host and producer of the show. Thanks for listening. You can reach me on Instagram at outthegatesailing or email me at outthegatesailing at gmail.com. Until next time, smooth sailing. you all a very fond farewell